not quite centered, guys, where I want it. <laughs> last, guys, couple, last time, a couple guys tried to do this on an ox cart, God killed them, so I'm just letting you know about that. <laughs> You glad you came to church here today? Because <clears throat> preaching is what? Well, thank you. Thank you. But, uh, oh, thank you. I was referring to Trudy's song here a couple weeks ago. Thank God for the what? All right. Good there. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 8 today. And uh, the guys are going to be playing Wednesday night up at the camp. And that'll be a great time for the kids up there. We're looking forward to that. And and Bob and I are going to do the gospel in the stars up there at night, and we're looking forward to that. So pray for the weather that everything works out good along those lines. But, you know, I, I enjoy preaching. I, I preached uh, for 40, over 40 years, and uh, I've never, somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago if I ever got nervous in preaching, and I, I, I never do. I, I, first time I ever preached, I preached to 600 people. Never preached before in my life. And I wasn't nervous at all. I, I was so excited to get out of the mess in the world that I was in when God got me out of it. And so excited when God gave me an opportunity to give back to him after all he gave to me. I just didn't get nervous about it. I didn't mean it was good. I just mean I wasn't nervous. <clears throat> and uh, it was a jolly 60 meeting with 600 old folks. And they got more hellfire and brimstone that morning than they ever probably heard in their life. But uh, that's just the way it started. But, uh, you know, I, I enjoy preaching, and messages like today, I probably enjoy, uh, as a pastor now, uh, I probably enjoy preaching uh, more than uh, any other kind of sermons that I preach, because it's messages like this that really, I think, help the church go forward. Uh, we always have people who are coming into our church who, uh, uh, who are looking for, really, to make a change in their life. You know, churches are, you know, they're all the same. They're, they're, they're not really different in, in one respect anyhow, and that is that people are passing through. People come through, uh, and, you know, they have no intention of doing anything for God. They're just leaving the last church, passing through this one, going to the next one. And, but that's just the way it is. And you have some people who come into churches, you know, and they like it, and it's all exciting. And then when they find out that there's a, you know, to really serve God, it costs you something as far as time, service, and all of those things. You know, uh, I've had people say, um, to, well, I really like the church, but I just can't handle, you know, a, a church service for two hours. You know, I don't know how many hours are in a week. Anybody figure that out real quick? 24 times 7 is what? Well, because you're a, you're a CEO, man. I thought you knew everything. How, how many? A bunch. And you get all that time to yourself and you want to... You complain about two to the Lord. But that's the way people are. You have some people come in, you know, and they, they hang out for a while, and it's exciting, and then, you know, they just, it isn't exciting anymore. It's kind of like a, you know, a flash, and, and it's gone. But in all of that, you have people who come through who are looking for the truth. And our job, our church here has a specific function, and it's, it's messages like today, I think, help you understand that better, that for those of you out there that really want to change your life and you want to give back to God what God has given to you, and you realize that that has to be done through a local church, um, this message will help you. And I, we all benefit from it because, you know, you catch on, you catch it, you see it, you want it. 
we have all the tools here to help you, and then the church just goes farther and does more for the Lord. And, and so I enjoy messages like I'm going to preach to you today. I didn't say you would. I just said I am. But I want to go to Proverbs chapter 8 today, and uh, this is where I've been telling you now. We have got through basically the introduction of Proverbs, and this is where we begin now to get into the book itself. And uh, we don't quite get into the Proverbs themselves yet, but we get into the meat of the book now that we begin to see that the whole thing kind of changes here. And, uh, you know, what we have seen in the first seven chapters is how we're to prepare ourselves and what we need to not only put in our lives, but also put out of our lives to find the knowledge of God, the fullness of God, and, and the wisdom of God, the mind of God. God's wisdom and understanding. Uh, through the principles of the Word of God. Now, I want to read for you Proverbs 8. We're just going to go through the first six verses today. But here's what it says. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of the high places, by the way, in the places of the paths. She crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in, at the doors. Unto you, O man, I call, and my voice is to the sons of man. O ye simple, understand wisdom, and ye fools, be of an understanding heart. Hear, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord today, and thank you for all that we've had happen today, and for all that we got going on this week. And most of all, Father, I thank you for the good people uh, that are in this church that uh, that want to learn and want to grow. They want to become part of the work that they understand that, uh, that God uh, gave so much for them and they're willing now to give that back to Him. And Lord, I, I thank You for, for what we do and for the ability that You've given us and for the great folks that You provided, Father, through Your wisdom and love. Help us, Lord, to always love them. Help us to always encourage them, to edify them, and to give them the truth. Uh, Lord, and we just pray Your blessings upon it today. In Jesus' name, for a sake we ask it, amen. Now, this chapter opens up with a declaration on, I think, the number one aspect of God and His character, and also should be the number one aspect for us as Christians. Look at verse 1. It says, Doth not wisdom cry? Crying out. And understanding put forth her voice. You know, the number one aspect of God, uh, we've talked about this many, many times, the number one aspect of God will be truth. Uh, You've heard me say it many times, the church today has completely lost its way. The churches today have lost their mission. They've lost their perspective. Our job as a church is simply onefold. It really is. And as Christians, our job is simply onefold. And it's simply to cry out with the truth of God, wherever we go and whatever we do. And this is what, this is what Proverbs chapter 8 really begins to talk about and, and tell us what we need to do. Now, the main scope of the church, and I know that this is contrary to popular uh, preaching today because most churches who, from the Bible standpoint, are not legitimate, always want to feign themselves as being legitimate, so they're going to talk about, they're going to talk about how important it is to win souls. They're going to talk about great missionary programs and to send people across the world to win the lost, or, or to, or to heal busted and broken families, or are meeting people's needs, whether it be physical needs or whether it be spiritual needs. Now, all that may fall within the scope and the job description of the church, but I want to tell you the main focus of any church 
is not any of those things. The main focus of the church is to take a stand and preach truth. That has to be the number one aspect. You can reach the world and you can do all the things that churches are supposed to do, but if you fail in the number one concept of standing for and and preaching the truth, then there's no point to it. And we see today, I got to shut this fan down here. It's blowing my, hang on a second. There we go. Okay. We see today all around us, and I talk about this all the time. We see today what a hundred plus years of, of the neo-evangelical crowd and the neo-orthodox crowd has done to Christianity. They started around the, eight, uh, the end of the 1800s, around 1900, 1880s, 90s, and their whole concept was to, to, to not, not, not keep the Bible as a standard and let the world come to that standard. But their mindset was take the Bible down to man's standards. Now, you look around and you'll scratch your head and you'll say, well, you know, what is this idea now of same-sex marriages, many churches doing them, and, and all of the things that the churches are going to, and women becoming pastors, and all of the stuff that, that is happening. And you scratch your head and you ask yourself, how did that happen? That's how it happened. As society changed and the winds of society blew in different directions, these churches changed their teaching to align with the world for the point of trying to reach the people. And that's how it works. That's what they've done. And that's what has affected this country now for the last hundred years. We, we, we change what we preach to fit the changing morals or the prevailing winds of our society. And it's a severe problem today, and you see it everywhere. The church has lost its purpose, so Christians today have lost their purpose. Christians today who are saved, and I believe they're on their way to heaven, they've lost their whole perspective of, and their whole understanding of what God wants them to do. They've lost their focus. If you would ask the average Christian what God saved them for, they wouldn't have a clue. And if they did have a clue, and then you ask them if they're fulfilling that, they're probably not. Today in churches, the focus is not truth. The focus today is huge congregations, great crowds, hundreds of millions of dollars spent every year on things that have no spiritual value in related to holding up truth. Last week when we were talking about some things in a very practical way, in a very practical message, I talked about a man or a woman who dresses to appeal uh, to the eye instead of the spirit. Uh, uh, Somebody who dresses to attract attention to themselves. They'll dress on the outside. We were talking about the uh, the harlot of Revelation chapter 17 and 18, and I was making a reference to that a lot of people, even though they're not of that kind of character, it's a standard thing that when you want to draw attention to yourself, when you want people to notice you, some guy to notice you, or some girl to notice you, then you appeal to the outside flesh by how you uh, dress and wear your clothes. And, uh, you know, you draw attention to your outward appearance instead of the inner qualities and, uh, that, that we all have. And, you know, churches are the same way. They really are. Church where a person will dress on the outside to uh, draw somebody's attention the reason is is because there's no spiritual character on the inside. 
And churches are the same way. They'll, they'll, they'll have beautiful buildings and, and you'll have beautiful uh, works of, of, of just unbelievable uh, buildings that are so beautiful. But on the inside, there's nothing there. They have no Bible. They have no truth. I think of Robert Schuler's Crystal Cathedral, who now somebody else bought it because he's out of business. But I, that thing was spent billions and billions of dollars, and it appeared as the most spectacular, beautiful building you ever saw in your life. But it was absolutely dead on the inside. Going to that church, listening to his preaching, listening to his teaching would send you to hell so fast you wouldn't know what hits you. Jesus called them whited sepulchers in Matthew chapter 24. And churches today are in competition with each other. It's all it really is. They're in competition to look beautiful and bit bigger and better than the church down the street. It's all built on the outward appearance. I come from Canton, Ohio. I moved out here in 1976. My pastor back there at that particular point in time, uh, who was the founder of that church, was Dr. Harold Henniger. Dr. Harold Henniger was, uh, he built the Canton Baptist Temple. In my day when we were there and I was there in the 70s, it ran about 5,000 people. Uh, also, my father in the Lord, uh, Mel Sabaka, who most of you have met at some point or you know about him. He's dead now too. Uh, he was the college and career director there. And uh, he was worked with Harold Henniger. They both came at the same time and they were, you know, they had worked for years together. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget. And I was there, so I understand what I'm saying. When Dr. Henniger died, Dr. Henniger uh, was a great man. And I'm not taking away from him anything. I, I loved him very much. He was always good to me. Uh, I, I appreciated him. But I learned from everything. And if you would go back to, to Canton, Ohio today, there on the corner of 515 Whipple Avenue, you would find uh, the most incredible, huge complex of buildings, which is known uh, to all of Canton as the Canton Baptist Temple. It takes up probably eight city square blocks on both sides of the road. It's, a, it's an absolutely huge place. And Dr. Henniger built that building from when it started down where I used to live on the other side of the tracks on, uh, on Alden Avenue. He moved it back in the uh, 60s and the 70s and took it out there and built an absolutely incredible uh, set of buildings that it stands uh, as a tribute to, uh, to man building great churches for uh, the Lord. In all of the years that I knew Dr. Henniger, in all of the years that I knew him, and I knew him well, my mom and dad were charter members of that church, so I'm not speaking out of school here. In all of the years that I knew Dr. Henniger, I never knew one young man that he ever invested his life with to teach the Bible. You see, he built buildings. And I'm not arguing with that, but I've told you many, many times there's only two things worth investing your, your life in because they're the only two things that are going to last for all of eternity. One of them is the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The other one is the souls of men. And he built a great complex of buildings, but I don't know of one man, one couple, that he ever sat down with and ever trained for the ministry. He shipped them off the Bible college, but all they did was take their Bible from them and turn them into apostates. Now, Mel Sabaco, on the other hand, I went to his funeral when he died two years ago. I spoke at his funeral when he died 200 years ago. 
He never built a building. When he went out to start a church, he took an over old, old Roman Catholic a church up in Staten Island, New York, that was an absolute shambles, and he converted into a Bible-believing, teaching church, but it was never on the scale of the churches that you see today. But at his funeral, there were over 800 young men and young ladies that he personally had trained one-on-one for the ministry. And that was just the tip of the iceberg. They were from all over the world, all around the country. He impacted more people's lives because he understood that the beauty of a church is not on the outside. The beauty of the church is what's on the inside, just as it is with people. And you don't, you don't, you know, our job is to exalt and to magnify the Lord in his name, and you don't do that by building a building. You do that by preaching the truth, no matter where it is, in a barn, in a tent, in an open field. It doesn't matter where it's at. It's not about the facility that you wrap it in. It's about what you have on the inside. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 32, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So we see in our opening verses here of chapter 1, uh, verses uh, 1 through 6, Five places that I want to talk about for a few minutes this morning that God's truth in the form of wisdom and understanding is to be preached. Now, verse 2 says, from the tops of the high places. Then it says, by the way and the place of the paths. Then it says, at the gate. Then it says, entry to the city. Then it says, at the coming in, at the doors. Now, over the years, I, I have one guy in mind that I've heard several sermons on this by the old guys. I have one sermon in mind that I heard probably back in 1974, maybe 73, and it was by an old guy from Greenville, South Carolina, by the name of Victor Sears. And he was an evangelist. And Victor Sears preached on this, same text, But what he did with it is he took each one of these five things and he showed how that they inspirationally apply in their own life. Pretty good stuff. Pretty good stuff. I dug out my notes from it, believe it or not. I still had them this week. And I I, I looked back at them and I just kind of wanted to brief you, show you how uh, he talked about to the tops of the high places. He made reference to those of the radio towers. Because back in his day, the radio preachers were really the great preachers of our country. They preached through the radio antennas where preachers couldn't go. The radio got into China. They got into Korea. They got into South America and Central America. They got into Ecuador. They got into Peru. They got behind the Iron Curtain when no preacher ever could. And it talked about the fact that she cries out uh, the truth of the, in the wisdom of God uh, literally all over the world. Some of the greatest radio preachers that in the 20th century were guys like Oliver B. Green. For every once in a while, you can still find some radio, Christian radio station that plays some of his sermons. Dr. DeHaan, Theodore Epp, I think of the Southwest Radio Church of the Air with David Weber. Billy Graham used to preach on the radio. J. Vernon McGee, Victor Sears. They all preached for 40 or 50 years, them and about 200 other guys that literally preached the truth to the world. 
And this old boy, when he preached, when he talked about crying out God's truth from the high places, he was making a reference in a spiritual way to the great radio towers that put out the word of God that would go where people couldn't hear it. Then it says, by the way, in the places of the path. Now that's your path of life. That's your path of life that when you look back in it, it ought to be littered with the preaching of the word of God and the testimony and the witness. It ought to be littered with the tracts that you pass out. It ought to be littered with the people that you have talked to, uh, that you uh, God has put in your path. The waitresses that waited on you. The hotel porter. The cab driver. The person in the seat next to you on an airplane as you were flying someplace. The people that you meet through the paths of life. People that will, God will put in your path to give, for you to give them the truth. You know, I've talked about it before that uh, there's three aspects to soul winning. There's the sowing, which is the sowing of the word of God. Then there's the watering, which is the praying over what you've sown. And then there's the reaping. And many times, many times, God uh, always requires us to sow the word of God, but not always do we reap. Maybe somebody else. You'll be on a plane somewhere and you'll, you'll give a gospel tract to somebody or you'll have an opportunity to tell somebody your testimony uh, as you're passing through life on your path of life. And uh, you, may, you may never see the end result of that. You may never see that. But God's word goes on in their life and wherever they go, God takes it. You keep praying for them and down the line someplace, somebody else reaps. I don't know how many people in my life that I've won to Christ that I understand that I may have been the one that reap them, but it's very clear to me that somebody else sowed it. Because that's what we're to do. And when the Bible talks about by the way in the paths, uh, in the places of the past, it's talking about your life and my life, where you go, the people that God puts in your world, who you are around that you can share your testimony with. That they see the difference in your life. That people will, at work, will seek you out. I don't know how many times I've got an opportunity to help a couple or work with somebody. Or even have them get saved. And it's simply because God used you in their life at work or here or there. And God used you to get them to the place where they needed to be. The old song says, sowing in the morning. Sowing seeds of kindness. Sowing in the noontime and in the dewy eve. Waiting for the harvest and the time of reaping. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And the Bible says that we are to proclaim God's wisdom and truth by the ways and the path. Then he says, at the gates. The old boy preached, he talked about the fact that the gate and the cities in the Bible are the gathering places for all the latest news. All the kind of like the city center where everybody came down to find out what was going on. The elders were always sitting at the gates to get out the truth and tell them what was happening to the people in the city. Old boy preached on the fact that this will represent the places where people congregate. The roller rinks, the ball game. Everybody here has seen it. We all laughed at it many, many times. How many times during the football season when somebody made a touchdown and they're down there to kick the uh, field goal and there you see that goofy guy with John 3.16 standing right in the goal line. You know what he was doing? He was doing what Proverbs chapter 8 says. There's a guy that's getting out for God so loved the world to 100 million people and it didn't cost him a dime except the ticket to get in. That guy, I'd like to meet that guy. That guy's got some, he's got some perception. The place where people congregate. 
Uh, the club meetings, the shooting matches, the golf outings, the special occasion, the fishing trips. Where people meet together, God will have his witness. I told you before at Acts chapter 8 with a great story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. One of the greatest stories in the Bible that really picture the three aspects of soul winning. But the great thing that comes out of all that is the fact that God had a prepared sinner. Somebody had given that Ethiopian eunuch Isaiah chapter 53. We don't know who. Bible doesn't tell who. Bible doesn't tell when he got it. But somebody showed the word of God at some place in his path of life that gave that Ethiopian eunuch Isaiah chapter 53, which talks about the blood atonement of Christ on the cross. He's reading that in the desert, not understanding anything that he's reading. And the Holy Spirit of God brings Philip to him with the greatest classical line in all of the Bible. Understandeth what thou readest? And he goes up and he sits with him and the Bible says he opened the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. You know what you got there? You got a prepared sinner. Somebody who God prepared who needed to hear Christ. That somebody showed the word of God, but then you had a prepared servant. Somebody that God could bring to the prepared sinner to make sure that prepared sinner got the truth and the wisdom of God. God's got plenty, plenty, plenty of prepared sinners. The shortage today is prepared servants. People who will take to heart the calling of God in their life, wherever people meet. Our softball league is the same thing. I was there a couple of weeks ago and watching the girls play, and I, I was standing behind home plate watching the girls pitch and there was a, a break where they had something happened. They had about 30 seconds, and the umpire came over to me. And he's umpired for the girls all the time. What's his name? Bill. 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 Good friend of mine. What was his name again? <laughs> he came over to me, and he says, Bobby says, I want you to know. He says, I've umpired all my life, my adult life. And he says, you have the finest people that I've ever worked with in all my life experience. He says, I've never had finer people uh, to work with. I would rather work with you guys. He says, you have some of the greatest, finest people uh, that I have ever met. Now, that's a testimony to you guys. You know, most referees, when they go to a ball game and a referee, they get cussed out, they get stuff thrown at, every fights break out. He doesn't, they don't have any of that. It's the fact that you're testimony. And nobody ever witnessed to him. Nobody, to my knowledge, ever gave him a track. I'm not saying you should. Sometimes the best witness is what you do with your life. It's like my old friend, Glenn McClinkock, used to say, every Christian had a witness, and sometimes he had to even use words. But it's your life. He watched you girls year after year after year, and you made an impact on him. Now, I don't know what he'll ever do with that, but I do know this. You have impacted his life in a gathering place where everybody meets, and he was a man that's come in and probably lost, doesn't know Christ, but he saw the difference in your life. He had the ability to see what you guys have done compared with everybody else he works with, and he saw the difference. Now, you take that same massive scale of the four or five girls' teams that we have and just scale it down to that ought to be our lives as individuals. The world ought to see the difference the world ought to see that there's something different about us that they don't have with their other friends. 
and make a statement just like that. Bible says, at the gates. Then the fourth thing, at the entrance of the city. Now, there's your own calling, as Pastor Sears, or Evangelist Sears preached so many years ago. There's your own mission field in the city you live in. Whether you know it or not, if you're saved here this morning, you're a missionary to Kansas City, Independence, Blue Springs, Raytown, Grandview. Doesn't matter where you live. You are a missionary by God's design to the city you live in. There are mission field. Your job, wherever you work, your job, whatever you do, is nothing more than your support system to support you in your missionary endeavors. You're a tent maker missionary. That's what Paul was. Paul was an evangelist. And when he went on his missionary trips, <clears throat> he didn't have a lot of churches sending him support every month. He was, a, he was a tent maker. He made tents. So he would go along and he'd go into a city. He'd set up shop over here. He'd fix tents or whatever needed to be fixed. And then he would support himself and start a church. He would raise that church up, get it ready, get a lot of people saved, train some young man like Timothy, like Philemon, some young man that would come up in, the, in, the, in, in his ministry and then turn that church over to him like Titus, and then he'd move on to another city. He recognized what we all need to recognize, that we are missionaries in this city. Every one of us, if you're saved. The mission field is where you work. It's your neighborhood. It's the people that God put into your world. And when the Bible says that we're to cry out at the entrance of the city, it's talking about you and me and everything that we do. Then he says, at the coming of the doors. Now, this will be churches. In the Bible, you find two kinds of churches, both in the book of Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, you find the church of the open door. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, you find the church of the closed door. And this will be the teaching ministry to the people who become part of the work in any church. We're talking about our church here today, oh, and making application to it. The doors in the Bible will always represent opportunities for God, wherever you find them. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, Paul talks about a factual door of ministry was opened unto him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, he talks about a door opened of the Lord to preach the gospel. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, he thanks God for the door of utterance was opened where he could speak about the things of God. And that's what God wants to put around us. The opportunities. We train you here. We try to get you trained here. Not to just know the Bible. Now, I want you to learn the Bible. We have all kinds of things for you to learn the Bible. But my goal for you is not just to know the Bible. But my goal for you is to learn how to have perception and discernment and discretion with the Bible. The ability to see the opportunities that God places all around you. We all go through life in tunnel vision. We never see the opportunities on either side, so many of God's people. Most of God's people have so many issues themselves, so many problems that they're struggling with. The devil has sidelined them and sidetracked them in so many ways that all they can see and focus on is what they got to drag themselves through in this particular day. What a sorry way to go through life as a Christian. We ought to live above the circumstances. We got the truth of God. We've got the wisdom of God. We should have the understanding of God. 
We should have the ability to look around us and to see all the opportunities that God gives us. I am not satisfied with just teaching you the Bible. Teaching you the Bible by itself won't help you. It won't help God. It won't help this church. Puffing you up and giving you a lot of knowledge when you're not willing to give it back will never do anything for anybody. I don't want you just to know it. And you know if you've been around here for a while, this is a place you can learn the Bible if you want to. But I'm not interested in just teaching you the Bible. I'm interested in teaching you how to use the Bible. Look around you at the men and the women, the young couples, the moms and the dads that God puts into your world. They're all around us. And when you understand that that the coming into the doors, the opportunities, the ability to see the opportunity that God places all around us, and you'll be able to respond to them. Now that's ministry. That's what they used to preach. When I heard old Victor Sears, and I remembered that, you know, I got my notes out, and, and that was basically an outline. He, I, couldn't, I couldn't improve on that. That kind of stuff and that kind of preaching was some of the best preaching you'll ever hear. All I did was take back in 1972 what he preached at the Canton Baptist Temple, just fashioned it where we're at today. The truth is, and we all know this, that the Bible, the Word of God, is likened to, to many different things. And one of them is water. We know that from John chapter 4 where you have the story of the woman at the well. And she had went through life and she's had five marriages. She's a carbon picture of, of, of most people today. Her life was a mess. I don't know if they had Prozac back then, but she's probably on it if they had it. She struggled with everything. And she, she, she's had five husbands, five marriages. This woman was, 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 was of dubious character, and she's struggling with a lot of things. But there came a day when she met the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And on that day when she met the Lord Jesus Christ, her life changed. And they got into a dialogue about water, didn't they? And she came to the well. It's Jacob's well, by the way. And boy, you go back to the Old Testament and, and, and go back there and, 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 and look at that picture when Jacob's well shows up back there and it's covered with a stone and there's three flocks of sheep can't get watered and then they remove the stone and then all three flocks get watered. That's a picture of the same well that the rock of God is sitting on. And when he went to Calvary, all three flocks of sheep, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, then could get water because the stone would roll away. Beautiful picture in that Old Testament. But she's thirsty. And she'd been coming to that well every day of her life, filling up her pitcher. And that's a great picture of what everybody goes through in life. The water of this life will not satisfy you. It would not satisfy her. She was the same woman when she left with her pitcher full of water that she was when she came with it empty. And that's the great concept. She always had to keep coming back because everything in life will wind up being empty in you. You feel good today, you're empty tomorrow. You're up now, but then you're down by Wednesday. That's this woman. But then she met the Lord Jesus. And with the Lord Jesus, their dialogue, he says, look, girl, the water I'm going to give you to drink, you'll never thirst again. The water that I'll provide for you is eternal water, springing into wells of eternal life. It's the water that that everybody on this planet needs. It'll quench your thirsty soul. She took it. She took it. 
And I know she, I know it took with her. You never read anything about this woman in the Bible ever again, but I know it worked. You know why? Because the Bible says when she went away, she left her water pot there. She didn't need the water of this world anymore. She had the eternal water of God's word. Our job, your job, the job of this church. It's not just to teach you the Bible. It's not just to give you and fill you up with the word of God. Our job is to teach you the Bible, but to flood this world, to flood this world with good, clean drinking water for the souls of men, for the thirsty soul that are looking for the water of eternal life. That's our job. That's what we're to do. Now, I said in the Bible, the Word of God is likened to many different things. You could study it 40 different ways. Another way is likened to bread. Exodus chapter 16 is a picture of the manna in heaven. And you know, the children of Israel were in the wilderness. They'd come out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness of sin. And coming out of Egypt is a picture of their salvation, Exodus chapter 12, by the blood on the door. And it's a picture of now that they're in the world. And they're making their journey toward the promised land, where they can have the promises of God, the land of milk and honey. But the great contrast between where they're at and where they want to get is nothing in the wilderness of sin will satisfy them. It's a picture once you get saved. Once you get saved, ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing in this world that will ever satisfy you again. Not that it ever did. I never understand so many of God's people that once they get saved and they try it out for a while, then they go right back to the world. And they're more miserable then than they were before. You know why? Because in the wilderness of sin, there's nothing for you to eat and there's nothing for you to drink. God had to give them water, picture of the word of God, supernaturally as it flew from the rock. When he didn't have any bread, God supernaturally rained down the manna from heaven and fed them supernaturally. And that is the picture of your life and my life. Right now, we're on a journey. We are in the wilderness of sin, and there's nothing in this world that will satisfy us. So God knows that we need bread. He knows that we need water. So just like with them, he provided supernaturally for us the word of God. John chapter 6, the great chapter in the Bible. I call it the great bread chapter. He's talked about the bread of life. It's an incredible chapter. The manna from heaven. Bread is a type of the word of God. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11 for a moment. To me, one of the, my favorite passages on putting out the word of God, God's truth. What I'm about to give you will make a great sermon. <clears throat> It'll make a great devotion for your ball group or your prayer group. It's one of the greatest passages I've ever found in the word of God about putting out the word of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. It says this. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the cloud shall not reap. Now, this is a great passage. 
There's a great passage on what he's talking about in Proverbs 8 of the crying out with the truth and the wisdom and the understanding of God. First thing he says is this, cast thy bread upon the waters. Bread is a picture of the word of God. We already know from Revelation chapter 17, verse 15, uh, that uh, in other places in the Bible that the waters here are a picture of people. And he's talking about casting your bread upon the multitudes of the people. Here's a picture of what we're to be doing, taking the word of God that we get and casting thy bread upon the waters. You and me every day of our life, putting out the bread of life in these five ways. Then look at the next part of verse one. Cast thy bread upon the waters for thou shalt find it after many days. Now that's a great reference to the great promise in the Bible found in Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11 where it says, as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. Show my word that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. That's one of the greatest promises in the Bible. It says when you put the word of God out, God does something with it. You may be in a situation where you think whatever you said fell on deaf ears. You may think that what you preached or the witness you gave, they didn't do anything with it, didn't even hear you. Don't discount the Holy Spirit of God. That's one of the greatest promises in the world that God accomplishes his purpose when you put it out. Don't ever not put out the word of God because you think nobody's going to hear. Don't ever not put it out because you think nobody's going to care or they're going to turn you off. That verse says it never returns void. One verse dropped in the right place will cut like a knife for 50 years. You put the word of God out and God will take it and God will do something with it. It simply will. I remember years ago, I had a, uh, years ago, I had a mom uh, call me and, and she said, my boy's a Jehovah witness and he's really into it. Will you go over and talk with him? And I said, sure, I will. And I'll never forget it. I went over and talked to him. And I, uh, I went in there and sat down and I kind of, I kind of got him off guard a little bit, which I always like to do. When I went over and talked to him, I had two big boxes full of Jehovah Witnesses books. Because he's thinking I'm a dumb Baptist, you know, and don't know anything about it. And I had my Bible and I had these. And he says, well, he said, what did you bring all those for? And I said, because after we talk about this book, I thought maybe you'll want to get into these. We went at it for about two hours. I said one thing to him. And when the moment I said it to him, and, and I wouldn't get off, once I saw that I had found the tooth with a cavity in it, you know, like your dentist does? Is it this one? Uh-uh. Is it that one? Uh-uh. How about this one? Uh-uh. Is it this one? Uh-uh. Is it, ah! You found it, see? You just keep probing. Once I found his weak spot, I went after him. I said, I, 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 I nailed him on one thing, and I wouldn't get off of it. Once I found that he was vulnerable in that spot, I went after him. And ever he would try to go, I'd bring him back to that spot. I would never let him get off subject. I held his feet to the fire till he got so mad and so angry with me, he asked me to leave and basically threw me out. Five years later, five years later, I get a phone call one night about 7 or 8 o'clock and it was this kid. And he says, Bob, I says, I, I, I've, been, I've been trying to find your phone number for five years. He says, I, he says, I, 
I, I, I, after you, we met that day, he says, the thing that you nailed me with, he says, I just couldn't get out of my mind. He says, I, I called my preachers. I went down, I even called the Watchtower Society in New York. It drove me crazy and I couldn't get out of it. And he said, I want you to know, three years later, I left the Jehovah Witness. I'm now saved and a born again Christian. I'm going to so-and-so church. I just wanted to thank you for spending that time because that was that one thing you said. One word dropped at the right spot. It never returned void. Old George Whitfield one time was riding horseback between places uh, preaching. And uh, he was out there going after the service late at night, going to his next city. And he was out about 2 o'clock in the morning and on those lonely dark trails. And a, a, a guy come out, a highwayman come out and put his blunderbuss on him and said, uh, this is a robbery and took every, took every dime that he had. And oh, as he drove away, uh, uh, rode away in the horse, uh, old George uh, Whitfield turned around and says, young man, wait a minute. Young man turned around and come back and he says, what do you want? He says, young man, someday you may tire of the life you're living. And when you do, remember the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son cleansed us from all sin. Six years later, that kid found him preaching, gave the money back. And said, I'm sorry, Mr. Whitfield, I did that. He says, I got saved about a year after I met you that night and wrote, I've been looking for you ever since. He says, the thing that just wore me out was the blood of Jesus Christ. God's son cleansed us from all sin. It won't return void. Whenever you get into a situation with people and you think they're not getting it, never let that discourage you. They're getting it. You see, if it was you getting through to them, it'd be one thing. But that Holy Spirit of God will penetrate that thing, boy, like a laser beam. The Word of God doesn't return void. He says, verse 2, give a portion to seven and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. Simply meaning this, give it all you got over and above. We know that seven in the Bible is the number of perfection and completion. Go beyond that. The urgency of the hour. You have, and I have no idea. We get an idea by looking around the world, what's going on, how bad it is. We have no idea how bad it is. We have no idea. We can't see behind the spiritual veil and see all that's going on around us. And he's saying, give a portion of seven and unto eight, for you know not what evil shall be upon the earth. Proverbs 27 says, boast not, to, not, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You got today, and the urgency of today is all you got. Verse 3, if the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. He simply says this, as when the clouds get full, it will rain. And when this earth at its wickedness gets to a saturation point, God's judgment will fall just like the rain. You saw it in Genesis chapter 6. God gave man 120 years, but then you know what? God said, "Uh uh-uh, and he called an end to it. Look at verse 3 again. And if the tree shall fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there shall it be. Now, you all know, if you know anything about the Bible, trees in the Bible are likened to people. You know what the urgency is? You know what the urgency is for you and for me of getting out the truth? That Bible says if the tree fall to the south and fall to the north. If a tree falls to the south, a man goes to hell. If the tree falls to the north, it goes to heaven. But wherever he goes, heaven or hell, that's where he stays. Cast thy bread upon the water. Put it out. Put it out. The urgency of the hour to reach you, to reach people with the truth before it's too late. For when you die, heaven or hell, north or south, 
as a tree. Mark 8, 24, 8, 24, Jesus, that man said, I see men walking around like trees. Picture of people dying and going to hell. Look at verse 4. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. 2 Timothy 4, 2, Paul said, preach the word. In season, out of season. In season, when you're 18, when you're 20, when you're 30, when you're 40. Out of season, when you're 60, when you're 70, when you're 80, or when you're 90. Doesn't matter. Wherever you are in your season of life, you preach the word of God. Don't get sidetracked with all the devil's distractions around you. Don't get your nose bent in a joint or something that's about so stupid and miss the whole concept of what God wants you to do. Verse 6 says, In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether uh, shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. He's saying, you don't know what God's going to do with it. You don't need to know what God's doing with it. You just put it out. You put it out. You cry in those five places. You cast your bread upon the waters. Now, this passage in Proverbs chapter 8, if you ain't figured it out yet, What we have here is a fundamental study on evangelism 101. Nothing deep, but certainly what every Christian needs to hear and understand. How to reach the world we live in today. Now that's the question. All we do here today, all we do throughout weekend camp, all we do through our discipleship, our discipleship too, our Bible studies on Thursday, whatever class you're in, whatever study you're taking, whatever we're doing is absolutely worthless if it doesn't come back to the driving point of how to get you ready to reach the world because that's the job God has called you to do. Now, this is a great study of evangelism 101. It's a breakdown of understanding the ministry, how to reach the world. Let me explain something to you. All the world. Then I know many of you are in your 20s and 30s maybe or younger than that and you, haven't, you don't get out much as far as the world is concerned. You don't get in school what you used to get even when I was in school. So you're kind of sheltered to what's really going on and how the world works. But I want you to know, to understand how to reach the world, all the world is broken down into cultures. Everything. When you go to the doctor and he wants to find if he has strep throat, he'll do a throat culture. That means he isolates everything in your life to look at this culture. And a culture is simply that. Culture started in Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel when God changed the languages and all the lands got divided up by nations. Because in every nature, every nation, you find different cultures. Each culture within our world will be the key to reaching people. You've got to get this. The key to reaching people will be understanding the culture by which those people live in. And then the next job is to penetrate the culture. The model is Christ himself. When Christ came down, he didn't come down wearing a Halloween costume, portraying himself as to be a religious leader. He wore the common, ordinary clothing of his day. He didn't come down in a bright, shining light that uh, his eyeballs shot out lightning bolts. He come down as a common, ordinary man. You know what he did? He set the model for us in reaching the world because that was his job, for God so loved the world. What he did 
was simply nothing more than become one of us, and by becoming one of us, penetrated our culture. He came down just like you and me. He was without sin, but he wore the same. If he'd show up today, I guarantee you, he'd wear what some of you have on today. He wouldn't be wearing some kind of Halloween costume or some kind of religious garb to set himself apart. He wanted to penetrate the culture. And he knew to penetrate the culture of man, he had to become man and be like man in everything that man did, yet without sin. And that's exactly what he did. God became man. He became one of us to get his message to us. He penetrated the culture of his day by becoming one of the people that were just like in the Middle East. Now, each culture will have particular needs all across the world that other cultures don't have. Whenever you get out of the world of America and you get to another country, if you go to Europe, you'll see that Europe has particular needs because they have a different culture than we have. If you go to Japan, you'd see that their culture is completely different. If you would go to Korea, South America, or uh, Central America, or Africa, or Russia, you would, you would see immediately, if you got any kind of perception at all, that their culture is completely different than ours. You see this when you get out of your own world and you see what it's like in other countries. Now, the job of a church is, first of all, to understand this. The job of each of you, if you're going to be effective for the Lord, is to get out of your little bubble. Get out of your little bubble. Do whatever you got to do to break that bubble. Get out of it. Get out of that bubble and realize there's a big world out there that is a lot bigger than your little bubble that you're living in. You break out of that bubble. You understand what I'm saying. Then, as a church, we identify what the culture in our culture is, in our little world that we live in. We recognize that it's different from around the world. We recognize that we have other needs that they don't have. And when we find out those needs in particular, in any particular culture, then we use those needs, penetrating that culture as a pipeline of Bible truth. Using the need of that culture to reach people with the truth. Now, very basic example. America's sports crazy. They love sports. That's part of our culture. So what do we do? We have a volleyball ministry and a softball ministry. We don't go out there and, and we, we act just like anybody else except we don't act like the world. We have fun. We give good examples. We have a good attitude about things. People see that. And what we do is we bring lost people in. We penetrate their culture of sports in either one of those deals and we get an opportunity to minister to them. Kansas City has a culture of a homeless ministry. There's people who are homeless. What we do is we go down there and meet them on their level. We go down there and give them what they need. We meet them. We don't go down better than they are. I've watched you guys put your arms around them. I've watched you guys talk to them. I've watched you guys spend time with them, listen to them. You just don't drive down the street and throw out hot dogs like they do my, my, my paper in the morning. You, you spend time. You're penetrating the culture. Liz just came back from three weeks uh, with a medical team in Central Africa. I think she was in Kenya. And you'll see there, and I'm sure she would tell you all about it, that their needs there are different than ours. They have medical needs. They have food shortages. They have clothing shortages. Some of the greatest poverty in the world is in Africa. 
There are many, many relief organizations that are Christian. Many of them will go and they'll supply the needs. They'll give them the medicine. They'll give them the food. They'll give them the clothes. And then they use that to give them the gospel. That was the original idea of General Booth when he started the Salvation Army. He, he went down to those guys that were down and out and through that ministered to them. Each country will be made up of different cultures and will have different needs. Our job to getting out the five areas here and to preach and cry out with the gospel is to use the needs of the culture to penetrate with the gospel, the truth, to cry out. I don't know, most of you don't know this and, and Dean would understand it and a few others maybe out there, but missions in America has absolutely fallen on its face. It's an absolute travesty. The failure is simple. The failure is a failure of men and women going to the mission field to leave their own culture and embrace the culture they're going into. You have missionaries that go to Mexico and they'll get with another little team of Mexican uh, missionaries to Mexico. And the people will be out here in the masses in the cities. They'll live in their little American missionary compound. They'll have an American flag right in the center of it. The missionary will walk around in a three-piece suit where everybody else is wearing sombreros and sandals and, 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 and pants. He'll have an American flag on his lapel. He'll try to take the Mexican people that he's dealing with and try to make them American Christians. And then he wonders why it fails. He ignores the fact that they have a culture, he has a culture. You'll never reach people by getting out of their culture, bringing them into your culture. You reach them by leaving your own culture and going into theirs. When Count Zindendorf and August Spondenberg started the Moravian missionaries, the greatest missionary movement on the world has ever seen, they took men and women who wanted to reach the world. They trained them. They gave them the Bible. They gave them the concepts like I give you. And then they gave them wherever their desire to go was to be a missionary. They gave them a one-way ticket. No coming back. There are Moravian missionaries who had a burden for the black slaves that were taken into slavery from Africa who sold themselves into slavery for the rest of their lives to be a missionary to them. That's what it takes. That's penetrating the culture. We don't see that today. William Carey in, in, in India, Robert Moffat in South Africa, Adonai and Judson in Burma, they spent their whole lives, they buried their families on the mission field. When they left, they, they, they had no plans of coming back. They had no plans of coming back every three years for a year that they could recoup. They adopted the culture that they went into just like Christ did. And they became one with that culture. They spoke the language. They worked the job. They were one with the people. They embraced their holidays, not ours. They forgot they were Americans and they became citizens of where they were at to reach them. When David Livingston went to Africa, he got so far into the interior of Africa that they could not find him. The New York Times thought for sure that he was, he was killed by some animal or wild natives. And he sent, they sent, they sent Doc, uh, Stanley, who was a newspaper reporter, to Africa to try to find him. And after six months of going down the backwaters of Africa, coming around a little jungle corner, there he was. 
which gives us the beautiful little saying that most of you young kids don't know it, but Dr. Livingston, I presume. He spent his whole life in Africa when he died. And he died in Africa. He died on his knees with a fever. And when he died in Africa, he was such an honored man in England that they wanted to bring his body back and put him in Westminster Abbey. The Africans would not give him the body. After much negotiations, they finally said, okay, we'll let you have his body, but before they send his body back to England, when he's buried in Westminster Abbey today, they cut out his heart and buried it in Africa because he knew Africa was where his heart was. If you and I died today and they cut out our heart, where would it be buried? That's a sobering thought. That's a sobering thought. Too close to preaching today, so I'll ignore it. I'm telling you. The culture. Now, we live in Kansas City. Kansas City, Missouri. I think it's still in the USA. I'm not sure where the USA is anymore. Now, our culture has its own needs. It's not food. Go to Hy-Vee. Rows and rows and rows and rows and rows and rows of food. It's not clothes. Go to any mall, and there's probably one, four or five within a five-mile, ten-mile radius. You can have all the clothes you want. A society and a culture that you have, ladies, 400 colors of lipstick to choose from is a bad deal. America doesn't need any of those things. America's cultural needs is not like Africa. It's not like behind the Iron Curtain. It's not like the, the Central and South America. America is one of affluence. America is an emotional basket case. And America is a culture of affluence that has produced 100 million personal tragedies. America is an insane asylum run by the inmates. America is broken marriages. America is anxiety and stress. America is broken families. America is depression, addictions, alcohol, and drugs. America is a, is a culture that has experienced a, a total, complete collapse of any value system. Now, our job is to see that and to respond to that with truth. That's our job. It's all we're here for. My job is to get as many of you to buy into what God died for you to do and then train you not only to take from this church, but to give back to this church that we can accomplish what God saved us for. That's the job of this church, to proclaim truth. But the only way we're going to reach our culture is to penetrate our culture. And the only way we're going to penetrate our culture is to understand our culture. And our job is to see that and respond to it with the medicine and the medical process spiritually that we have. This is why Christ was called the great physician. He not only healed physically, he healed spiritually. Simply understanding what all of the people out there in our culture need, smarter than the problem, is simply the truth and the understanding of God. Meeting the need of our culture on every level, from the homeless ministry to the corporate executive whose marriage is failing, who's finding out that a million dollars a year doesn't buy him any happiness and everything in between. The challenges will be enormous. 
They always are. You don't think any one of these missionaries went to Africa or India and they just walked in and there were signs, welcome missionary. They paid the price, many of them bearing their wives and their children on the mission field. The challenges will be enormous, but the rewards will be eternal. Now, let me show you what we did. I told you, messages like today help you understand a little bit better. About three years ago, maybe a little longer than that, once our church got to a level that we were ready, and we spent probably five or six years, and I was looking for everybody who had even a glimmer of leadership ability, and, and, and still am. And, uh, you know, we had got the church to the place where we were, we were up and on, our, on our feet, and we had people now who had a good, solid foundation in the Bible. You'll remember I offered everybody in the church a chance to become with the people ministry. We had some of the people had, had been with me for years, and they understood what I was doing, but most of you were new, and I wanted to bring you up to speed with everybody else, and it was simply an, an opportunity to work with me on my level of spiritual intensity. And uh, it, it was a thing of taking a group of people and training them on an incredible level of training, dealing with the issues of our culture. And, uh, you know, this fall will be our fourth section, our, our fourth session. And uh, I took, started out with about 60 people, and we lost some along the way. Not, not, not many, but we lost some. We lost some because of the, of, the, of the very high level of intensity that it takes. A lot of people found out that this was going to require a lot more than they were willing to put into it. And it was a thing where, uh, you know, there's a very high accountability rate. Everybody signed a contract. And I don't know how many times somebody's bailed out and, and, I've, and got upset with something, and I just simply held the contract up, and they signed their signatures on it and said, what part of this did you not understand when you signed it? We went through all of it, all of it. Sixty or so started out, and then I've added to it every year. We're off during the summer, and I must tell you, I've got, I get withdrawals in the summer. I enjoy those sessions so much. But to build a base of people, along with the ones I already had, who could help me deal on any level with the issues of our culture. And I told you, I said, you know what? Dealing with people is basically like a hospital. A hospital is, is basically broken down into three things, if you want to simplify it. And I said, our, our people ministry is going to be in three levels. Level one is Band-Aids and methylate. That's just helping people that got little ouchies. They've just fallen down and, and scraped their knee. They got some little issue in their life that doesn't require a lot. You just be their friend, help them through, teach them the Bible, work with them, and they get past it. Second one, level two is a little more serious. I call it uh, broken arms and legs and appendectomies. Now, here you've got to spend a little time. See, the problem's a little deeper. And uh, you've got to be able to set broken legs and sometimes broken hearts. You've got to be able to work through things that come up without that. But, you know, that's level two. Level three is where I want everybody to get no matter what level you work on. The greatest brain surgeon can prescribe aspirin and fix your busted knee if you fall down. But level three is, level three is heart transplants and brain surgery. That's where you really get into the stuff. That's where you get into all of the issues. And what we've basically done is started in the Bible. We took two years just laying down all the fundamentals. Last year, we started coming through every, started in Genesis, coming through every example in the Bible in order of every issue and how to deal with it and the type and how it lays out coming through the Word of God. I'm not sure we ever got the, where we ever got the idea that the church is anything more than a spiritual hospital. 
I don't know where we got that. So we went to work. And three years later, adding the people that had been around me for a long time who pretty much had it all down, three years later, we have an incredible strong base of people uh, who work as one. And I'm always looking to add more people to it, to bring it up, to bring its base level up. That's how we penetrate our culture in Kansas City. We learn how to use all of our assets, softball, volleyball, the fun times, the, the Memorial Day picnic, the Thursday nights, the one-on-one. And you, you, begin to, you begin to see how it works through the whole system. You begin to take everything that you learn and learn how to use it. You don't just take from the church. You take from it to give back to it. And you become part of the overall ministry because you understand that the number one job of this church is to proclaim truth and to penetrate our culture with it. And then take the people who want the truth and the wisdom and the understanding of God. You help break the strongholds in their lives. And then you give them the victory. And then you put them to work. You put them to work. Now, not everybody will want that. I talked when I started, talked about it earlier. Some will reject it outright. Some will come in and say, this isn't for me. Some will come for a while and see that the cost is too great. Some will come and see, you know what, I, I don't, I don't want to fix the, really fix the problem. You know, I just, I just, I just, it, you know, none of that matters to me. It really doesn't. Some people will come along and say, well, I want everything from you, but I don't want to make any investment back in. You're going to find that wherever you go. Hey, look, churches are never built around people who will never make a commitment to the work of God. It will be built with those who will make the investment of their life in the work of God, understanding what God has done for them. I'm not responsible for anybody's decision to accept or reject the truth. My responsibility lies in one area, that every time I take this pulpit, truth goes forth. That's all my job is. The fact that some may not like it is, the, is, is no concern to me, but preaching the truth is. Now look at verse 4. Unto you... O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. Now, God has called all of us. You might as well like it or not like it. If you're saved here this morning, God has called all of us to this ministry of truth. We all may be on different levels, but our job is always the same in this church to proclaim truth. We've been called. Everything we do with discipleship, the prayer groups, discipleship too, the Bible studies, the Sunday morning, all goes together to build you to full-time this calling that God has called us to do. And we take it very seriously. It's the fundamental concept that you give back to God what he's given to you. You recognize that we're here for a reason. We have a lot of fun and we do a lot of fun things. And sometimes when people just see that, they never see and understand that there's, a, there's an absolutely diamond point edge to everything we do. And it is reaching our culture. When we get to the judgment seat of Christ, it won't be how many softball games we won or how many volleyball games we won. It will be about did we understand and do what we needed to do as a church and as individuals to penetrate our culture. We have the keys. We have the book. We have an understanding of what it takes. You have the tools that will equip you in whatever you, God has called you to do. 
He says in verse 5, O ye simple, understand wisdom, and ye fools, be of an understanding heart. Now, I want to give you this here and turn over to Luke chapter 9 very quickly, and I want to kind of give you this concept here. And This is the great picture of how we as God's people respond to this call. And if you've been working with people for any length of time, whether you're in the people ministry or whether you just work with me, and you, you, you have seen this many, many times. Look at verse 57, Luke chapter 9. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Jesus, Lord, I will follow thee wherever thou goest. Oh, how many times have I heard that? This is the greatest church I ever found. Oh, they're going to learn the Bible here. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Verse 59, And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Verse 61, And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home, at my house. Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow, looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now this seems like a cold, callous thing for the Lord to say. But when you look beyond the story here, you see what really he's saying. You see the problem. Three men. They all want to know the Bible. They all want to follow Jesus. They all think, wow, being with Jesus is going to be the greatest thing in the world. I'll probably get a white suit. I'll probably get a big wide margin Bible. I'll probably get all of this and we'll hang out. We'll eat at the best restaurants. Man, I'm going to be with him and everybody out there is going to say, that's Bob Alexander walking with Jesus right there. None of them counted the cost. See the problem? The first guy says, oh, I want to follow you. I want to go with you forever. When he found out that there was no place to sleep that night and nobody going to feed him and nothing for sure and he had to live one day by faith, he finally said, you know what, this isn't for me after all. The second and the third guy, now we see what the real issue was why they didn't want to follow them. And this will be the exact real issue why so many of God's people today Talk about it. Say, I'm going to do it. Have the best intentions, but when push comes to shove, there ain't nowhere to be found. And the answer is found in verse 59, and the answer is found again in verse 61. You know what it is? Me first. He says, follow me. The guy says, I will, but let me first. Second guy says, well, I'll follow you wherever you go, but let me first. You're going to follow God. The first thing that gets to get out of your life is me first. That's tough. It's tough. These guys wanted to be disciples. They wanted to follow him. But they wanted it on their terms. They wanted to learn the Bible. They wanted to get all the truth, but they wanted to do it their way. And Jesus said, it ain't going to work your way. You want to follow me? 
There's no place. I don't even know where we're going to sleep tonight. I don't even know where we're going to eat. And the visions of the white suit and the big bus and the places to eat all dissipated. They didn't count the cost. Listen, there was a cost for him on Calvary's cross that he was willing to pay for you. Why will we not pay that cost back to him? That's the great question that's going to ring out of the judgment seat of Christ. There's a cost involved that most people are not willing to pay. Getting rid of the me first mindset. Then lastly, verse 6. Here, for I will speak of excellent things, and the openings of my lips shall be right thing. Now, I can't speak for anybody in this room today, but brother, that's what I want right there. I don't ask for much in life. God's been good to me. I got more than I deserve in life, and I got a great life, and I'm not complaining about it, and I never get down to dumps about it. I thank God for the blessings that God put in my life, but you could take it all away tomorrow and burn the house down and kill the dogs and do everything you want to do and just leave me with two things, and they would be the excellent things and the right thing because at the end of the day, that's all I care about. That's all I want. That's all I want out of this book and I want from this life. I want the excellent things and the right things of God's wisdom and understanding and truth. But you need to understand it comes with a price. Our job is simple. Flood the world. Kansas City, our family, our friends. Every open door God gives you with. Flood it. Cry out with the word of God, the truth of God. Become a spiritual paramedic, a spiritual nurse, a spiritual doctor. That on any level you can get into any situation and deal with it and help it and fix it based on the word of God. Help this church fulfill Proverbs 8 verses 1 through 6. To penetrate our culture with the truth of God. Church of an open door. That's a transparent church. Much like Obama's presidency. Where you as a member are free to learn anything you want, to ask any question you want about anything without any fear of reprisals. You can ask why or what or how we're doing this or why we're doing this and everything we do. Everything we have here is open. If a man or a woman joins this church and you're a member of it, you, you, you have complete access to everything we have to understand to get what you need to get. A church where you can get whatever tools you need. Don't look at this place like a church anymore. Look at it as a giant Bledsoe's. Where you got a job to do in life that God has called you to do, just like you got a job to do that your wife has told you you got to do. You ain't got the tools to do it. So what do you do? You don't go down and buy them. You go to Bledsoe's and you walk in there and across the wall is everything you need to do anything you ever hope to do. They give you the tools. Problem with them is they don't show you how to use the tool so you get something and destroy your neighbor's yard along with yours. Here we not only give you the tools, we show you how to use the tools. You get everything you need to be equipped. The vast reservoir of experience. Do you know how many people that are in this church that have probably been with me for 10, 15, 20, 30 years who have worked by side in ministry, who understand every aspect of it, who you can dial in with, been around, some of them have been around since we started or shortly after that you can get into. They're in this ministry. They know every aspect of it. There's such a vast knowledge of men and women here who understand what it takes that you can glean from. Church, that whatever you need. 
if you're willing to invest your life in it, will provide everything you need to equip you for the calling of God in your life. But God has called every one of us if we're saved. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 through 6 opens up with, what are you going to do when you get the book of Proverbs down? That's what he's really saying. Once you get all this wisdom of God and you learn all this great stuff, what are you going to do with it? You're going to keep it, hoard it, can it, warehouse it, storehouse it? Or you're going to go in the five areas of your life and you're going to cry it out. You're going to put it out everywhere you go. Or you're going to learn everything about your culture. Learn everything about foreign cultures. Realize what the needs are in this culture and that let God equip you to penetrate this culture. To get down to the real needs of this culture. Years and years and years ago, I went to Mel Sabaka, my father and Lord, was in New York City, Staten Island. We were driving down through New York, and of course you know that New York is the headquarters for the Jehovah Witnesses. And uh, we were diving down through there, and he showed me all of that and everything. And we were driving back through another way, taking me through the city, and Campus Crusade also had their, 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 their big headquarters there. And we were driving out, and we were coming out, and there was a huge billboard that Campus Crusade had put up, and it simply said, Christ is the answer. Well, in New York, like everything, somebody crawled up with a can of spray paint. And in big, bold letters underneath, Christ is the answer, somebody had written, what's the question? And I thought to myself, you know what? That's exactly what churches, preachers do in a culture we live in. We're so busy answering the questions that nobody's asking. We never see in our own culture what the real question is. And many times the people you're dealing with don't understand what the real question is. But as long as you do, as long as you have God's wisdom and understanding and you have the discretion and the discernment and the perception and the truth of God's word, even when they don't understand what the problem is, you can see it. Penetrate that culture and help them by answering the questions that really need to be answered. That's how you reach a culture. And that's the only way that the gospel is going to go forward. It won't go forward with big buildings. It won't go forward with big programs. It won't go forward with big choirs and all the stuff that goes on today. It'll go on because common people just like you with a common Bible invest your life with common people once you learn what our culture's needs are and are willing to pay the price to penetrate that culture. Learn the Bible, but don't just learn the Bible. Learn how to use the Bible to penetrate your own culture. Let's pray. Father.